the words I speak, the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. One of my friends from hockey sends me stories most Fridays, and you've heard a few of them. Some of them I couldn't tell in this place. Um, But I thought this week's one I could get away with, so we'll try it out. A man was sitting on the edge of the bed watching his wife, who was looking at herself in the mirror. Since her birthday was not far off, he asked her what she'd like to have for her birthday. (coughs) I'd like to be eight again, she replied, still looking at the mirror. On the morning of her birthday, he woke up early, made her a nice big bowl of Fruit Loops, and got it, and then took her to Adventure World. What a day! He put on, put her on every ride in the park: the Death Slide, the Wall of Fear, the Screaming Roller Coaster, everything there was. I wouldn't try this with Bonnie; she wouldn't like any of those rides. But never mind. <laughs> Five hours later, they staggered out of the theme park. Her head was reeling, and her stomach felt upside down. He then took her to McDonald's where he ordered a Happy Meal with extra fries and a chocolate shake. And then it was off to the movies for it with popcorn and soda and her favourite candy, M&M's. What a fabulous adventure. Finally, she wobbled home with her husband and collapsed into bed, exhausted. He leaned over his wife with a big smile and lovingly asked, Well, dear, what was it like to be eight again? Her eyes slowly opened and her expression suddenly changed. I meant my dress size, you idiot. (laughs) So, who here thought she was talking about her dress size? None of us? Today we heard all of Matthew's Christmas story. The wise men come next, but they're not actually part of the Christmas story in Matthew, or in Luke, for that matter. So, that was all of it, and you all know the Christmas story as we know it. So, turn to your neighbour for a a moment and talk about what you think is the same in Matthew and Luke, and what's in Matthew that's not in Luke, and what's in Luke that's not in Matthew. Matthew. So you heard all of what was in all in Matthew this morning. So what's the same in both? What's in Matthew that's not in Luke? And what's in Luke that's not in Matthew? Talk to your neighbour about that. Uh, if you need to look up the Bible, it's Matthew 1 and Luke 2. Right, see how you got on. We'll start with the easy bit. What's the same between them? It's not much, so it won't take us long. Okay, Jesus is born. And it's Mary and Joseph. And where's he born? No, well, it's in Bethlehem. No, it doesn't say it's a stable. So there's one of the first differences. So the, the, the things that are, that are the same are Jesus was born... His mum was Mary, his dad was Joseph, and he was born in Bethlehem. That's it. That's the only elements of the story that are the same. So, what's in Matthew that's not in Luke? Right, it's Joseph's point of view. That's very good, yep. 
and Luke's from Mary's point of view. Well, there's wise men in Matthew. We didn't hear about them, but there are wise men in Matthew. There are no wise men in Luke. So there are no shepherds in Matthew. Is there a star in Luke? There's no star in Luke. Luke doesn't need one. Because the star is there to guide the wise men, the magi, who shouldn't be out yet because they're not supposed to appear till the 8th of January. But never mind, they're there. But we also have a Jesus and he's not supposed to be there yet either. But never mind. (laughs) So, one of the big differences is in Matthew, wise men come guided by a star. And in Luke, shepherds come, no star. So the star is only in Matthew. Uh, what else is there? Where do, where do Mary and Joseph live in Matthew? It's implied in the story. That's no, Luke. Luke has a census. No census in Matthew. No emperors calling everyone to move in Matthew. Where are they living before the birth? Bethlehem. Not in Nazareth. So they're in Bethlehem. So Jesus is born at home, not in a stable, not in a manger, just at home, in their house, in their Joseph's family's house, it would have been. So very different from Luke. Luke, they start in Nazareth, so he needs to get them from Nazareth to Galilee, uh, Nazareth, Nazareth and Galilee to Bethlehem. So he has a census and they have to come down and then we have all the, the stuff about the stable because in, Matthew, in Luke it's really important that Jesus is amongst the poorest. So it's shepherds who are right down the honour scheme who come. But in Matthew, he's just living at home. So you didn't probably read this, but what happens after the birth? Where do they go? Where, does, where do they go in Matthew? To Egypt. to Egypt. And where do they go in Luke? Home. So in Matthew they flee Herod. They go to Egypt. In Luke they go to Jerusalem, to the temple. And Jesus is circumcised. And then they go home. No fear of Herod. So very different stories. And the reason they're so different is that... They're they're not history, as we understand history. We understand history to be a series of facts which we give some interpretation to. And those interpretations, I mean, how you tell those facts will change depending on where you stand. If you read a New Zealand history written uh, 100 years ago and compare it to a New Zealand history written today, they are vastly different histories because our understanding of what happened is very different. So even when we tell history, it does depend on where we stand. But these aren't history books. These are theology books. And so Matthew is trying to make a point. And his point is that Jesus is the new Moses. So, and there's some clues about that. For a start, who's Joseph's father? 
Anyone look through the genealogy and remember that? Joseph's father is a man called Jacob. Now, where else in the Bible have we come across a Joseph whose father was called Jacob? Pretty famous. It's been a musical made about him. Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Exactly. That Joseph, son of Jacob. Two Josephs. They both have dreams. Do you notice that? Joseph doesn't have... Well, Joseph does get visits from angels, not archangels, as they are in Luke. And they're in a dream, just like his ancestor Joseph had a dream. And the dream warns him about things. And so, like the people of Israel, he goes down to Egypt. Luke doesn't have any of this, so he can just go home to Nazareth. But it's important for Matthew that Jesus is the new Moses, so he has to trace where the people of Israel have been, down to Egypt. And then he returns home. And while, why does he go to Egypt? Well, the same as Moses, his life is threatened by a tyrant who is in fear of him. The Pharaoh for Moses, there is a, a kind of a story that goes alongside the story of Exodus, which said Pharaoh had heard that a new king had been born, and so he ordered the killing of all the, the young Hebrew boys. And the wording in that story is almost exactly the same as the wording in Matthew. He just kind of pulls it across and mirrors those two stories. And so that's what's going on in Matthew. He's showing how pointing, he is developing the credentials for Jesus to be the new Moses. Luke doesn't have that, has a different theology, and so he tells a different story. The basics are the same. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, grows up in Nazareth. His mum and dad are Mary and Joseph. But the details are different because the theology is different. He's trying to make a different point. And in the piece right in the middle of uh, Matthew's story today... We heard from Isaiah 7.14, which we also heard read as one of our readings this morning. And I wonder if you noticed a slight but slightly important difference in the wording of it. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, some of us, most of us, I think, probably heard age eight at this point. But I think the point that Matthew was making was size eight. Last week, I talked about when we read the Hebrew scriptures, we have to kind of hold them in their original context and hear what those scriptures were originally saying. And then when they're used in the New Testament, we can understand the story behind them and the message that comes with this. In essence, they're a piece of code that brings with it a whole lot of backstory that people don't need to be told because they know it. And so when Matthew's hearers hear this one piece of scripture, they know what all that is about and they hear it. Matthew doesn't have to spell it out. He's just kind of saying... You know, this. And they go, oh yeah, that, we understand that. You don't need to talk about that. We understand that. Unfortunately for us, we don't know the backstory, And so we just hear that this is all about a virgin. 
Which is interesting because Isaiah 7.14 and around it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. That's where we heard this morning. And if we'd gone on, we would have heard, The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on your ancestral house such days have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. So last week I talked about the prophet Isaiah a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah. And in the north were the kingdoms of Israel. That's what Ephraim, departed from Judah, is talking about there. The the ten tribes to the north had had enough of David's grandson and his father Solomon and the heavy taxes they'd put on them. So they split, set up their own kingdom with the different capitals, different temples, different places for worship. And Israel and Syria formed an alliance so that they could face the Assyrians. They said, we've got a better chance of beating the Assyrians together than apart. And they wanted Judah to be part of that alliance. And Ahaz would not join that alliance. And so they tried to kill Ahaz and put their own king on the throne so that Judah would join that alliance. And so this prophecy was to King Ahaz and was saying... Before a woman has a child called Emmanuel, and before that child knows the difference between good and evil, those two kingdoms will be gone. And then the Assyrians are coming here. This is the sign I give you. And sure enough, those two kingdoms were gone. Deserted. The Assyrians had taken the people off and scattered them around their empire. It was a prophecy not about a virgin, not about some miraculous thing that was going to happen seven or eight hundred years in the future. It was about right there, right then. This is what's happening. God is intervening. Those people who are trying to kill you will be gone. You won't have to worry about them, but you'll wish that you did have to worry about them because the Assyrians are coming and they're a much bigger deal. But I will protect you from them as well. So inherent in this piece of scripture that Matthew is using is this statement about trusting in God and God's intervention. Now, to be fair to Matthew, he didn't change the wording there. When the Hebrew scriptures were translated into Greek, into the Septuagint, which is what Matthew would have been working from, that word young woman was translated as virgin which is why he could use it. But this piece of scripture not only is associated with this time when these Judeans are facing the threats from the north, after that time it became linked with the hoped-for Messiah. And just as God had intervened in the time of Isaiah and Ahaz, it was hoped that he too, God, would herald in a time when God would act on behalf of the people of God 
and would free them from the yoke of their foreign rulers and their corrupt kings and their terrible temple leadership and that the true line of David would be restored. And Matthew is using this piece of scripture which is, comes from a time when people know when it comes from and the story of God's intervention in there and is linked with the hoped for Messiah and Matthew is saying Jesus is the fulfillment of this. Jesus is the one through whom God will intervene. So this whole story is about establishing Jesus as the one through whom God will intervene, the new Moses, and then the rest of the gospel is all about how Jesus does that. What's going on? So this is just about establishing credentials. So the use of this scripture is much more than miraculous birth by a virgin, which is what we hear. In fact, not really about that at all, because in those times, well, they weren't common, but Jesus is not the only virgin birth. It's not even the only virgin birth in the Christian story. There are one or two saints who also were virgin births. A virgin birth was a sign of God's blessing on that person. So we think, oh, well, there's been one. It was Jesus. It was amazing. Look, talks about it in Isaiah. For them it was like, well, it was kind of important. It's a big deal, but it's not the only one. And actually this passage is about establishing Jesus' credentials as the one through whom God will intervene. So we keep hearing age 8. It's all about the virgin birth. And Matthew is saying, no, it's actually about size 8. This is a prophecy about real events that came to be attached to the huge hopes for the people of God. And Matthew says those hopes have been fulfilled in Jesus, not only for the people of God, but for all of creation. So the message from our gospel reading this morning is that God is intervening. So how is God intervening? How is God intervening in our lives? How is God intervening in our city? How is God intervening in our world? That's the question for us this Christmas. Because God is at work. That's why we're here. We believe God is at work in our world. And God is at work in us and through us. How do we see that happening? And how do we join in that work? Our theme this week is love. So during this week I invite you to take time at the end of each day to give thanks for the ways that God has been with us and has brought love into your day and through you has brought love into the lives of others. And I also invite you at the end of the day to reflect on what has led you away from love. And then as we continue to prepare for Christmas, may this Christmas be a true celebration, celebrating the one through whom God intervened in human history, changed it forever and continues to change it through us and those we worship with.